I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is an incredible young man, an entrepreneur with a story that is truly inspiring. John Murphy is the founder of Lattice Evolve. It may appear simple, a bit of hydroponics if you want, but growing food in your own living room might actually save our planet. For certain, John Murphy did it to save his own life. I'm not only interested in those new ways where we can actually grow food on our planet without harming it so much, where we can get what we need without having to burn fuel and create all of that overhead on the planet, but I'm also really, really interested in that human story of someone that goes from being a young, strong, big man to being unable to move, to saving his own life, to turning it into something that all of us can benefit from. I hope you will enjoy my conversation with John Murphy. John, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a bit of time in the making. I apologize. And we rescheduled a few times. So my apology, I was on the tour of, uh, of Scary Smart and it was really taking me a lot of time. So we got introduced through Elena, who is the wonderful, incredible video creator that I work with to create all of the podcast uh, promos and, uh, you know, all of the videos that we create in general and all of the work of One Billion Happy. And Elena basically said, you have to meet John. And she sent me that little, <laughs> yeah, she sent me that little video. Uh, video. By the way, thank you, Elena, for all the work. You're amazing in every possible way. She sent me that video that she was working with you on, which really, really, I mean, from the first minute, I got completely drawn in. I'm completely into the work that you're doing, but I also think your story was quite, not engaging, but touching, I think, in so many ways. So can we start there? Can we start in 2009, if that's okay for you? Sure. You just want me to start talking about what happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one morning I was making breakfast and uh, I essentially collapsed. And at the time, I mean, it, it really felt like an explosion. I mean, it felt like there was just a boom, you know, and I hit the floor and I was pretty much immobilized in that moment. Like my strength, my senses, everything felt like they went away. And I remember crawling over to the couch and being able to get my phone. And I called my girlfriend at the time. And I was like, it was really hard to talk. And I just was like able to mutter out like, please get home. I don't know what's wrong. Just get home. And that's all I could say. And then I got to the bedroom and I guess uh, I like to let things play out as far as like naturally. And I like to figure things out on my own a little bit. So my first instinct wasn't to run to the hospital. It was to, hey, you need to stop what you're doing and just figure out what is happening. And essentially... Over a course of the next two weeks, and I, I did end up going to the emergency room, actually, uh, a couple of days after this happened. And we were researching, trying to figure out what was going on. And this was 2009, so the internet was different then. It was still very accessible, but it was very different. And I had researched it. I might have had symptoms of hypoglycemia. And so, I was like, okay, well, I just need to eat more food. I need to do this. I need to do that. And um, 
I ended up going to the emergency room. I think it was three days later. And I told them what I was experiencing. And there was a four and a half hour wait in the emergency room. And I was in extreme oh pain, extreme pain. I mean, I was just barely able to be alive in that moment. And I, I said, look, all my research says I might have symptoms of hypoglycemia. You know, it seems like I feel better when I eat. And they're like, well, if you have hypoglycemia, we're just going to give you a sandwich and go home. You know, and I was like, well, obviously, <laughs> I didn't just wait wake in up. the emergency room for a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, and of course, you know, I was 23 years old when this happened and I was unaware and I, I didn't know a lot about health and medicine and wellness and all these things that I do now. But my response was, ma'am, I'm pretty sure I didn't just suddenly become deficient in sandwiches, you know, mm -hmm. is what I told her. <laughs> like, why do I feel this way, you know? But I ended up finding a, a natural doctor a couple weeks later, and he diagnosed me with uh, adrenal exhaustion, which unfortunately is something that the Western world doesn't really acknowledge as far as that being a root cause. It's more of a symptomatic thing of other things going on. Can you explain what that means? What's adrenal exhaustion? So the adrenal glands are kind of the last line of defense for the body. Yeah. Um, adrenaline comes from them. And essentially everything in our world is a stress factor on the adrenal glands. You've got thermal stress, you've got chemical stress, you've got physical stress. And uh, what is the last one? Oh, <laughs> mental stress. And so all these things affect us. And if we don't let that system rest, then you overexert it. And organs are like muscles. They can get fatigued. And the more fatigued they are, well, then they start acting up and they're not performing the way that they should be. And then the more stress you take on, you know, anxiety and things like that, I learned for myself is the fight or flight system kicking off, which is what it's supposed to do is if you're in a life or death scenario, it engages that system to help you survive. Well, if you end up overexerting that system and stressing it out too much, now it doesn't take a bear chasing you down or somebody putting a gun to your head or something. It's, it's very little things that set that system off and make you feel like the world's ending and your life is in threat. And so the way I got into that was I was self-employed. My family didn't support me. They didn't believe in my endeavors or anything like that. So I was just on my own to do what I could. And I developed a sleep cycle, polyphasic sleeping, which is what Da Vinci did. And essentially you, you work and then you take breaks and you take naps. Well, Da Vinci's sleep cycle was like four hours of work and then a 30 minute nap. And I tried that it didn't work for me. And what I ended up doing was I'd work for 12 hours and then I would sleep for two and then I'd get up and I'd work for 12 hours and I'd sleep for two and I'd repeat that cycle. Oh my God. And so I was on a 28 hour cycle. And my circadian rhythm was completely shot. I wasn't sleeping at the same time every day. And by the time you actually lay down in bed, you know, it takes 20, 30 minutes to fall asleep because you've been working nonstop for 12 hours. So you got to wind down. And so you might only end up sleeping an hour and a half. And then the alarm goes off. You get up, take a shower, go back to work. And like, I was insanely productive. <laughs> I had a, a business that I was doing at the time, a t-shirt company, and I was printing shirts for uh, musicians all over the world. And I built this, you know, out of my house and uh, was pretty successful at it. But I wanted to be up when the bands were up, when they got out of a show at a concert and they needed to place an order. So I would at three in the morning, I get an order or four in the morning, I get an order. And I couldn't do that when I had a normal sleep schedule. 
And because I was young and dumb and had no idea what stress was, I thought I was just having fun and enjoying myself and, and working and fulfilling my dream. Well, the body said otherwise. <laughs> the body was like... You're a big guy, huh? You're like a six foot something, right? Yeah, I'm six three. Yeah. Yeah. And yet you completely collapse, not because of any physical condition, but rather because you basically told your body, that's it, you know, too much stress and your body shuts down basically. Yeah, exactly. My body just said no, and uh, we're not going anymore. <laughs> wow. And so the adrenal exhaustion is, uh, the adrenal glands are your last line of defense. That's what kicks in. That's the fight or flight. So when everything else fails without the adrenal glands, like once they go, you're dead. And so like my organs were shutting down, my body was in panic mode all the time. My heart rate was beating 160 when I was going to bed at night. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it was just, just I mean, just pounding, you know, mm. and, uh, and I'm sitting here like what's happening. And, uh, it was crazy. And as time went on, when I met this doctor, thankfully for him, I mean, he kind of explained to me what stress was and how to manage it, which it took me. I've always tried to remember, people ask me all the time, how long did it take you to learn how to manage stress? Well, I'm still learning today, but I would say it probably took me four and a half years to actually get a grasp on what it was wow. that was ailing me because I was self-employed at the time. And when you're sick and self-employed, like who's going to pay the bills? And so the bills kept coming. And I think for like 24 months straight, I was laid on rent because I was disabled. I was, I was literally... I went from being up on my feet and running around and having a very normal life, an extremely productive life, to now I can't move. And since I don't have a mainstream illness, nobody understands what's wrong with me. And so everyone around me was just like, oh, you're the guy that has to eat a lot. And it's like, I got down to 150 pounds. Like you said, I'm six foot three. So I was just skin and bone and I had these huge like purple circles around my eyes. And I mean, I was very, very, very sick. And, uh, I got to where I couldn't stand in the shower. I had to have a chair in the shower to sit, to clean myself. I had to have a chair at the stove to cook. I couldn't walk to the mailbox. I couldn't walk my dog. I mean, it was just, I was, I was disabled from this, this condition, <laughs> extreme inflammation and all these, you know, things in my body, like shutting down. And no germs, John, this is not a sickness that's coming from a physical engagement with anything. This is not a virus. This is basically just your body saying, I don't do this anymore. Yeah, I mean, there was speculation that maybe I was exposed to mold inside that apartment that I had. But at the same time, there's no denying what I was doing to my body physically. And I'm a, uh, I don't use substances. So like, I've never drank, I don't do drugs. The only thing I did during that one phase, like the year leading up to that collapse was I started drinking coffee and I never drank coffee in my life, mm. but I, I drank energy drinks. And uh, this was back when people didn't really know Red Bulls and, and Monster and all these things, like what they do to the body. And they can said limit three a day. And I was doing one a day. But I noticed when I drank caffeine that it actually slowed me down, that it was actually harder to get up after my nap that I took. And so I, most of the time I didn't even use caffeine and I was just literally off of sheer discipline and determination that I'm going to build my dream, that I'm going to run like mad. Yeah. I, I believe actually my personal experience is that caffeine works for you in the short term and against you in the long term. So when you go to bed, you actually don't feel rested enough to sleep fully 
and so you wake up tired and so you, you attack it with caffeine again and then at night you don't sleep rested and then you you attack it with caffeine again and it's a very vicious uh, cycle if you want tell me about that dream i mean if you don't mind me saying it's uh, it's the american dream of the idea of i'm going to make it i'm going to have a big business everything's going to be fine why why did you believe in that at all well i wanted to do good i wanted to help people out and uh at the time i i loved music and so a lot of my friends were you know underground musicians they were band guys that played in their garage and really had no chance of ever making it because they didn't have the resources or the tools to get exposed and, and found ultimately and so at that exact time i was pursuing that dream was to to help musicians go from the garage to the mainstream ah. and i'd created a social network that was i mean this was before facebook uh, myspace was around and i had come up with this social network to where like you had a myspace profile essentially but with resources so you had like a shop built into the profile and you could buy your shirts and your banners your flyers make your cds all this stuff book your shows all of that through the profile and this was what 14 15 16 years ago i don't know what it was and so we had had like a little model running and things like this and and then i was like well you know i can't afford to develop that right now if more than i am able to and so i said how do i get my foot in the industry and so i started printing shirts and i started uh printing flyers and banners and stuff and i had a merch company and worked with some rock stars and stuff you know and and so i just i wanted to help that's really what it was it was like let me help and um the American dream to me now is, is really turned into a nightmare, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> this idea of the American dream. And, and I've traveled a fair bit, you know, I've lived in Mexico, Spain, India, and um, I talk to people about this. So they think, oh, America is this grand place. Let's go there. Let's run there with everything we have and spend all our money to get there because opportunity lies there. And I'm just like, guys, mm -hmm. like the American dream is a nightmare. Like you have no idea, yeah, you know, but the idea of hard work is better like, and it'll get you somewhere is, is not true. Working hard doesn't necessarily equal what you want. And not just because of my experiences. Obviously, I, I took it to the extreme. But um, to me, like, to answer your question, why I wanted to do that, I just, I wanted to help humanity. And I don't know if that's because of the movies or everything else that we've been groomed with. But like, the idea of like, that quote that says that, the only change that comes is from the people who believe it. And in fact, that's like the one person who did is, is where change originates. Like I believe in that wholeheartedly. And I believe genuinely deep down inside that I can make a difference. And my passion from all of that stuff that I went through ended up turning into sustainable living technologies, which I already had interest in anyway, while I was doing my shirt company. But when I was sick and disabled, I had to literally start going through everything. What in my room is affecting me? What in my water is affecting me? What in my food's affecting me? What in my clothes is affecting me? Like I had to just strip everything down to the basics because I became disabled and I was a young kid. I mean, I was 23 and I essentially was disabled overnight. And so through learning about all those things that the body requires to go beyond the human experience of like, I believe that we're not human anymore. We know how to be culturally and monetarily bound, but we don't know how to be human. Mm. And the human body requires things that money in society cannot give us. And like, even with Maslow's, like if you go through the hierarchy of needs, like most people say, we'll get food and security and then move on to the next step. Well, if you give someone 
you know, a gun and a bag of cheeseburgers, that's not necessarily security and the food that the body needs. Like you can't just jump to the next step. Like there's fundamentals that we just skip over because we don't think about them. That's so profound, actually. So what you're saying here is that we don't really have any of our needs met at all. We have simulations or I don't know what to call them, like fake copies of... I call them false substances is what they are. Tell me more about this. So food, which is the the area that you work in, is a very good example of that. Yeah. My personal opinion of why the world is the way it is and why we're all lost and searching and trying to find ourselves in things, we distract ourselves with artificial substances, is because we're not fulfilled within. The human body has certain things that it needs. We need clean food. We need clean water. We need clean shelter. We need clean energy, clean transportation. Like these things are what we need on a fundamental level. And you can break those things down as far as even transportation. Like that might have been a horse back in the day where now it's an electric vehicle or something. Whatever you want to do. But there are poor alternatives and there are very good alternatives. And to answer your question, food is what I started focusing on because it was one of the variables that I can control most easy inside my own space. Now, mind you, I was disabled. So to me, I realized that the food from the store is nutrient deprived. It can look pretty and full and vibrant. But at the end of the day, I learned that most things at the store are just full of three nutrients and that's nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus. And if you give a plant those three things, it looks beautiful, but it can be nutrient deficient. And so it doesn't actually nourish your body, even though it's so pretty, you know? (laughs) And this is something that plays out a lot in our lives is that there's oftentimes the things that look the best or have the least substance for us, you know? Oh yeah. And so um, I said, okay, I've got to fix this. I need food to heal my body. Not to mention I was eating so much. I was eating like 15 times a day at my peak and about like every 45 minutes, I'd have to have a full meal and then my pain would go away temporarily and then it would come back. And when my pain comes on, it's like, uh, you know, I'd start trembling. My eyes would get blurry, like my whole body would start throbbing and I couldn't think clearly. And these are all like symptoms of hypoglycemia. It's like when your blood sugar gets low, let me take a step back. The adrenal glands regulate cortisol, which helps your blood sugar stay stable. And so when you tax your adrenal glands and you have adrenal exhaustion, well, they don't produce the hormones they're supposed to, or they produce too much or too little. And so all that stuff's out of whack. And that's why technically I had reactive hypoglycemia is what they call it. And it's like reacting to the things around you. And that's causing the hypoglycemia. But then you're eating 15 times a day and losing weight until you're 150 pounds. Yes. And I had, I mean, I was just complete skin and bones. I mean, and so. So how can that be? Is that because the food doesn't have any value in in it to your your body? Or is it, I mean, what was going on? Your body's unable to absorb it? So 12 years later, this is still a question for debate. Nobody knows, right? (laughs) Why can't John go a long time without eating. Like now I can go about four hours, four or five hours between meals, but I still have to do that. But there's theories. One is, is the stress completely destroyed my enzymes. And so now I don't have the enzymes in my body to digest the food properly. So it's just literally going through. Another theory is, is that my body was so sped up and so full of cortisol that it literally was just burning through calories. My watch, I've got, I wear a wristwatch and it counts my calories. It'll say like I burn four or 5,000 calories a day without 
a lot of activity. Now, if I go for a hike or something, it'll be like 6,000 calories a day, but wow, they don't know. Like the doctors that I've talked to, I met with different specialists on the Western side, different specialists on the Eastern side. I've done Reiki. I've done acupuncture, acupressure, I've chiropractic. I mean, I've done all kinds of things and nobody has an answer as to why my body consumes calories so much. They say, you're a fast oxidizer. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know. But finally, <laughs> about a year ago, my system started slowing down. And I went to my doctor. I was like, hey, I'm gaining a little weight. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's like, Eureka, you know, this is fantastic for you. Like, this is great news. I was like, what do you mean? I don't want to get fat. And he's like, no, like, your body's been chewing through calories for the last decade. Like, this is great that your your system's starting to slow down and you're, you're doing okay. But um, it led me to... Um, since I ate so much and my food bill was just going to the grocery store was like a thousand dollars a month. And I wasn't buying anything extravagant. I went from not eating any fruits or vegetables at all to becoming a vegan overnight. I was a vegan for about 18 months because I got to the point where I couldn't even digest meat anymore. And I guess my body was so enzyme deprived that I could not break down those foods. And so I had to eat simpler foods. And so it just, it was like when I ate meat, it was like a marathon. Like I just went and ran a, a triathlon or something and my whole body was super fatigued. But I, I went through all kinds of different variations. I mean, it's hard to summarize a, a decade in an hour, right? <laughs> but yeah. but you asked an important question. The, the food that I was eating, if it had nutrients or not from the store and if it was helping, I think when you have a healthy baseline, you can tolerate more. You're not as strained on your system. Yeah. But when you get to a point to where you're deprived and now you're trying to eat something that itself is already deprived, it's like you're, you're, you're just, you're minusing out things you're not adding to. And so that's really what led me to create the garden was I said, okay, I need food that has value. (laughs) I need food that has nutrients in it. And, um, you know, I was the last person in the world that I thought they'd come up with a garden company that could really impact lives on a global scale. I mean, this wasn't my intention when I started out in life, especially because I didn't eat fruits and vegetables. But that's where it all started. How did that work? I mean, you're now paying $1,000 a month in food that is not nutritious enough for you. You're eating 15 times a day. You're really not able to work fully to make that money. You're late on rent. No. And then what do you do? Well, I had a notepad next to my bed and, you know, I was researching everything. It's all I could do was take in information. And mind you, I didn't go to school. I'm self-taught. I've never been to college a day in my life. Mm. But I was curious. People always ask me, how did you do this? Whatever. It's like, you, you have to have a natural curiosity and a desire. Really, you need desire to figure these things out. And so in that moment, I was desirous about how to heal my body <laughs> in those moments, yeah. you know? A very simple desire, really. <laughs> very, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's like very basic now. Yeah. Yes. You know, like you're in pain, you can't do anything. You can't go out and hang out with friends anymore. My family wouldn't come see me and they thought I was just making this up for some reason that I just chose to lose all this weight and now I can't move. It was a crazy situation. So I was researching everything and I came across this guy in Australia and he was using fish to grow vegetables, but he was doing it on like a larger scale. Like his systems were like the size of like a small sedan or something. And I was in an apartment. It's like, there's no way in hell I can do that, you know? And so one day it just clicked. I uh, visualized a rain barrel 
like these uh, those blue rain collection barrels of 55 gallon drums. And in my head, I saw plants sticking out the side of it and I saw fish in the bottom of it and it was compact and it was vertical. And, you know, I designed all kinds of things. I was like always inventing things as a kid and stuff. And so in my apartment, I would always build things that had to be modular that had to come apart later because I had to move because I'm in an apartment. It's not permanent. And so everything I'd ever build, and I, I mean, some days my house was a full-on lab. I mean, I had a saw running. I was cutting wood chips on carpet and stuff. I mean, I was just a kid, but I was like, just, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to build things. But everything I designed had to come apart later. And so when I designed this vertical garden, it was because, one, I had limited space in an apartment. So I had to use vertical. Everything had a place in my little apartment. And so I was able to... I think that very first model I came up with held like 55 plants and it was in a four square foot area as opposed to having 55 plants out on the ground or even in a traditional system in my apartment, it would have taken up way more space than I had. And so because of that constraint of always having to build things up in my apartment, that's really what ultimately led me into the vertical garden space. But what we do is we use aquaponics and aquaponics is a hydroponic system, which hydroponics is growing plants without soil, and then you fertilize them with water. But with aquaponics, we add fish to the mix, and the fish are what fertilize the plants. And so the reason why I went this route was, one, I was disabled. And so carrying bags of dirt into my house and fertilizer into my house all the time to replenish my dirt just wasn't an option for me. And two, the fish offer a constant fertilization. They continue to poop, right? As you feed them, they continue pooping, and their poop is what fertilizes the plants. And so this is an ecosystem. And all my research and all my efforts were leading me back to the roots of humanity, right? The roots of the basics of what my body needs to thrive on this earth, not in society, but what it needs to be a human again. And so I was like, well, I need to create an ecosystem in my apartment. This is as close to nature and permaculture and all these things I can do in my apartment in the middle of Dallas, Texas, right? (laughs) Yeah. And so that's where it started. So you have this barrel, let's call it, and you have 55 plants in it. What kind of plants were those? I had uh, tomatoes and uh, like jalapeno peppers, and I had strawberries and I had lettuces and spinach, and I grow all kinds of things. And those things can grow inside your living room. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> in fact, I've got two gardens, one on this side and then one in, over here in front. Yeah, I was thinking you must be surrounded by those things. So I'll have to show you, but this garden over here in front of me is absolutely fascinating. Um, I have two fruit trees growing in it. Fruit trees. I've got a lime tree and a mandarin orange tree, and I've got about 50 mandarin oranges and probably 60 limes growing over here. Inside your living room? In my living room, and they're and they're powered by fish. Literally, the <laughs> fish are what are fertilizing these trees. Uh-huh. How does that happen? You plant a tree. So this is completely without soil? Completely without soil. You plant the tree without the soil in like what? Some kind of a net type thing. So the water trickles on top of it. And the water is fertilized by the fish. So I wanted this garden to be versatile, right? Once I realized that I had this issue, that I can't have access to fresh food and I live in the city, then most of the world's population live in the city now and they're coming out of rural areas. So they don't have access to food either. So my my attention shifted from 
helping musicians get to the mainstream to helping people eat clean food again, because this is important. And we've lost touch with this. So to answer your question, I had to make it versatile. And I learned that there's certain things that if they work indoors, they don't work outdoors because of temperature and constraints and, and vice versa. So through years and years of testing, tons of testing, we now have, uh, we use what's called expanded clay. And we have these little stones. I'm actually sitting next to this garden. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this in real time. <laughs> <laughs> these are little, little rocks. And they take clay and they roll it in the balls and they pop it like popcorn. And it creates these very little porous stones. And they're very lightweight, but we don't use any dirt. And so there's a pot that sits over the top of a aquarium. And that pot is full of these little rocks. And we plant directly into those rocks. We put seeds in them. We can put cuttings in them. We can put live plants in them. If you go to the store and get plants, you can literally wash the dirt off the roots and just stick it right into the rocks. And then the aquarium underneath has a pump inside of it. And that pump pumps water to the top and that just trickles through and waters the plant roots. And then the plants filter the water for the fish and they take the nutrients in the water or they use the poop as nutrients and they clean the water, send it back to the fish and it's just a full cycle. So it's a self-cleaning fish tank that grows food. Amazing. Truly amazing. The ones I've seen online, you can have fruit trees. You can now have, of course, all of the strawberries and leafy greens and, and all of that inside your living room. Yes. I mean, you can grow coffee trees in these things. You can no grow like way. nut trees. Yes. No way. I need a coffee tree in my house. I need that. Absolutely. This is my biggest passion <laughs> on the planet. I need a coffee tree. <laughs> Why are coffee trees special? Are they different in any way? Well, I say coffee because people love coffee. And, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Good selling argument. It is. I mean, who has had coffee beans that were fertilized by fish in an ecosystem? Who's ever done that? That's a very unique experience. That's totally true, actually. Yeah. And that's why I tell people is like, I don't think you've ever eaten food this fresh in your life because the things we eat have been picked days ago, sometimes weeks ago. If they're apples, sometimes months ago, they'll put apples in a deep freeze for six months before they sell them to you. And they travel around the world and things. And uh, part of my passion and my work is eliminating food miles, which is the distance food travels. Like Absolutely. I want to change food miles into food feet. You know, and now I've got two gardens in my house. The garden next to me has over a hundred plants in it and it takes up six and a half square feet. And the garden in front of me over here has two fruit trees. I've got a bunch of flowers. I've got some basil plants and some onions and things. And it takes up six and a half square feet. That's amazing. So in 13 square feet in my apartment in Dallas, I've got limes, oranges, <laughs> onions, kale, strawberries, all these things growing in 13 square feet. <laughs> and how, how much effort does it take you to, to grow those things? To be honest, I set up all these systems like I'm a, uh, a novice gardener because I learned that as a product designer, if you design a product that you have to be an expert to use it, that it's going to fail in the market. And so I literally neglect them. I set them up, I put plants in them, I put water, put the fish in, and I feed my fish daily and I just walk away. And they work and they continuously grow and grow and grow. And there's people that will say you have to do more than that. But the reality is once the ecosystem is set up, it just naturally fertilizes itself. I know that, yeah. Because we're mimicking nature. Um, yeah. You know, in a natural body of water, like a lake, river, stream, there's aquatic plants in there, like seaweeds and algaes and things. And those seaweeds and algaes purify the water. They filter the fish waste and things, and they return clean water back to the fish. And then the fish 
fertilize those plants. And so there's a symbiosis. Well, instead of algae and stuff, we're using lettuces and strawberries and tomatoes and peppers. And so we're doing the same thing. Yeah, I had that same experience. I, I'm very much into fish in general. I, I don't know why I admire, adore koi fish specifically. And when I used to live in a place where I could have a pond actually built my own pond with my own hands and my only constraint on the design was I wanted it to work entirely without any involvement of any mechanical filtration or any, basically I just wanted a pump to move the water and that was the only intervention and the rest was done by nature. And you could see, I, I remember vividly how at the beginning you put the fish in, your plants haven't really fully grown, the trickle down of the water on the rocks hasn't built all the bacteria that is needed and so on. And within four days, the pond becomes totally green. You can't even see anything from the algae. And then basically the fish eats the algae, they poop more, it becomes worse and worse. And then one day, one day you wake up in the morning and it's crystal clear, everything is working. Nature finds a balance, <laughs> right? Nature basically says enough bacteria to turn the nitrites into nitrates or whichever the way it is. Yeah, and then yeah, the yeah. plants will eat that. And then the plants will, you know, clean the water, the roots will clean the water for the fish. And then everything works, it becomes natural. And it's so beautiful when you see nature making it work. So perhaps neglecting it is really sort of saying, okay, let's have nature work completely. Agreed. Can I ask you, so if this is possible, can you foresee a future where we actually plant in our homes? I mean, make them look prettier and don't have to ship things around the world and burn the planet as a result and maybe eat healthier and safer food. I mean, absolutely. That's my vision is that these gardens are going to become an appliance like a refrigerator or a stove mm. is. Mm. They're going to be a part of the house. Not only do you get the fresh food, and that is getting further and further away from society, like uh, that interaction with fresh food is getting further away, but the benefits from having all these greens in your house and the purification. I've got lavender and rosemary and things growing, no. and if I ever... No, yeah, that's too I, much, man. I don't know. Uh, look, I'm literally... <laughs> I'm going to pick this off right here. I've got... This is rosemary literally growing right next to me. Huh. But when people come over, if I want the room to smell good, I literally just take my hand and I'll brush the rosemary plant or I'll brush the lavender plant. It just kicks that smell up into the room. And I mean, it's free air freshener, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Do you use any special lights, John? I mean, can they live indoors? Yeah. So we have, um, for very basic and cost effectiveness, we use these full spectrum LED tubes. They're like uh, T8 tube light tubes and they're... Uh, they're very low wattage. I've got four lights on the gardens and they take up 42 watts each. So it's 168 watts. And then the pump itself is 20 watts. It's a very high efficiency pump. And so for 188 watts, I've got food that grows in my living room. And you can run this off of solar power and things like that too, you know, if you want to. Battery banks. But yeah, you have to have lights indoors, especially for fruiting crops and things like that. You've got to have some type of uh, supplement lighting. But like I said, these gardens will work outside as well. You don't have to use them indoors, but I've always been indoors. And so I wanted gardens in my house and out of my house, you know. <laughs> I think this is fantastic. And I think our world needs to start thinking of those things because if it's vertical, we have so much vertical space in our cities and it could completely shift everything. Do you expect that farming in general as an industry would resist that? I mean, I'm guessing they would probably not want you to succeed because... If you do, then their sales go down, right? 
You know, it's a good question. And, and I always go back to the thought of when a restaurant moves in next to a grocery store or vice versa, they don't put each other out of business. Because I can walk in the grocery store and buy the ingredients to cook a meal for myself at a, at a third or a fourth of the cost of what the restaurant's going to charge me next door, there's still a convenience factor. And I think that the big scale farmers think of that, that, oh, this is nice. This is cute that you're doing these things in the city, but they don't see the scale of it. You know, like it's not a threat yet because for one, there's so many people and there's so many food needs. But I think when we start getting more into grocery stores and we start building on the rooftops, even to where like. I've talked to, you know, lots of grocery stores over the years and different chains and things. And luckily, the world is advancing. I mean, 10 years ago, people thought I was nuts. Five years ago, they thought it was cool. And then the last three years or so, people are now telling me what this is. They're saying, oh, this is aquaponics. I've seen this before. Da, 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 da. And so things are changing and progressing. Even uh, I've seen some grocery stores in the Northwest in America have adopted some indoor gardens and some rooftop gardens and things. But these are things I've been trying to do for the last you know decade plus. And I believe like if some of these bigger retailers came online, or these uh, larger grocery stores, and they said, we're going to put rooftop gardens across all of our stores, then I think that would start shaking things up. But as far as like a couple restaurants here and there and things, I don't think the large scale farmers even notice it. I really don't because it's, it's so small of a uh, footprint in that regard for them because they control the mass of it. And um, especially like when you consider grain and stuff like that, like there's not many people that are getting into grain crops and uh, even like commercial cannabis and hemp farming, things like that. And I believe that we can grow all of those things off the vertical gardens in vertical spaces. And I've tested some of it. I've actually grown corn in these systems before in my house. <laughs> that's nuts <laughs> yeah and i've grown watermelons off of these things and you can hang watermelons vertically the stalk gets so strong that you have to like take a saw to cut the stalk off but that watermelon's like a basketball or like a bowling ball just hanging in the air if you <laughs> tie it up right like i mean yeah. it's a lot of stuff you can do people ask me what have you grown or what can't you grow and i, was, I really haven't found anything that i can't grow and I even grow root crops in these without soil. We grow onions and radishes and carrots and beets without soil. This is fascinating to me. It blows my mind. Every time I pull an onion out of there, there's no dirt attached to it. You know? mm -hmm. That's amazing. So I definitely want one of those. Going to hang up the conversation with our followers and then I'll talk to you about how I get one here to me in Dubai. But at the same time, I really think it is when you say it's something that changes our world it does change our world. I think we've built systems that evolved into something that's that's good for humanity, but bad for the planet. And I think the idea of trying to get nature to take over just to correct what we've done is amazing. And to do that in your living room is honestly, honestly, humanity changing. I think it's uh, it's important. And you're, you're not the only one, you know, I, we should say that, but the idea of you being so, having your life depend on it, I think made you really put in that so much research to make it work in an interesting way that maybe not everyone else has got to yet. But uh, I thank you for doing that. I think uh, in a way I never wanted you to get sick, but uh, it's produced something amazing really. Yeah, it's, it's very humbling. You know, we're doing this crowdfunding campaign right now. We launched an Indiegogo project and we're trying to raise, my goal is to sell a hundred units. I've got to get my next batch at the factory. And as a small company, they penalize us for ordering small batches. Of course. Um, it cost me a lot of money to go order, you know, little batches at a time. And 
my 100 plant model that we sell, the Helix 100, we were selling that for $3,000 a unit. And if we order 100 units, I can get that cost down significantly. And so for the next month, I'm actually selling all my gardens at cost. I'm not taking any profits. And, and the idea is just help me get this batch order at the factory so that I can finally get over this hump of having to pay these high prices. And then I'm going to share that savings with everybody. And how do people find your crowdfunding campaign, John? I mean, it's Indiegogo.com and it's Lettuce Evolve. I mean, my company is Lettuce, like the vegetable, Evolve, like evolution. Our Instagram has a link to it. Website, LettuceEvolve.com has a link to the Indiegogo page. But it's been very humbling because so many people see this and they say they love it and things. And I've had a lot of people say, I'm going to buy one as soon as you launch it. And as soon as we did, it was crickets, you know, for a little bit. And yeah. um, <laughs> and I, I'm in this weird paradigm where everyone around me says, you're doing amazing work. You're helping humanity. Oh, my God, thank you so much for doing this. But where's the support, you know, at the end of the day? And it's conflicting. I think everything worthwhile <laughs> comes with a bit of challenge. That's my view of life. If it was easy, everyone would have done it. I think that's my view. And so, yeah, oh, I mean, I agree. <laughs> we'll hang in there. How far are you in your campaign? Days or money wise? So you wanted to sell a hundred. How many did you sell? Um, that is a good question. We're trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars right now. And so okay. there's different variations of those units. Mm -hmm. So far, we've raised a little over 10000 I had a guy from the Maldives who owns a resort there, and he couldn't purchase it from his country because of uh, the lack of tourism uh, from COVID, that they don't have USD. They don't have dollars wow. in their country, so they, they can't amazing. actually use dollars. Yeah, I had no idea if this was a problem. So he ended up uh, wire transferring me money. Their country is actually limited them to $200 a day in USD spending. They can't actually purchase more than $200 a day. So mm. long story short, he had to send me a wire transfer and he ordered, uh, I think he ordered eight gardens. So I'll be putting those on the page and I can't actually back my own projects and I have to transfer it to one of my partners and then they have to go order it. <laughs> it's wow. kind of cumbersome. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I can't actually inflate my own numbers. But then I have a client in Mexico who's saying he's going to order 10 units. I'm just trying to corral everybody to go order them. But I think here in the next few days, we'll be up to around twenty to $30,000 on the page. And then um, Indiegogo is saying that once we hit 25000 that they're going to feature us on the homepage. So hopefully from there, we can uh, get some exposure. But the truth is, is if the market's got to get behind us on this. And uh, I really think we're just lacking exposure right now. Most people that have seen my video have said, oh my God. Good. So we'll put all of the links on the podcast description to the page and to the videos and everything. By the way, uh, John is just a friend. Who I'm not sponsoring him in any way so that you're all aware I'm actually giving you advice of something I will personally buy. And I love what he's doing. And uh, yeah, there you are on one of the top podcasts now globally. So hopefully a lot of people, come on guys, be serious about this orange trees and lavender in your living room. Like who says no to that? John, I really think your story is very, very inspiring. I think your perseverance is amazing. And I think you're trying your need, if you want, they always say invention comes out of need. And, and your need, I think, is pushing you to go into directions that might make our world better. And I personally would love to support you. As I said, let's stay online and discuss it after everyone else leave. Yes, you guys are leaving now. And then hopefully 
everyone else who heard of this. If you're not capable or not interested, just tell others. I think uh, we need to start a trend. Uh, John's or anyone else, but the idea of a few feet to healthy food is, I think in my mind, a very uh, interesting idea. John, thank you so much for joining me. I watched the video and I thought I was inspired. Now in this conversation, I'm inspired more. And I wish you all the success that uh, there is. I hope it will come to you soon. I appreciate that. And for all of you listening, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And it opened your mind to something new, even though it's probably the oldest thing on the planet, which is nature taking its course to feed you. I hope you are continuing to enjoy slow-mo. As I record this conversation, it's the first time I host a guest after having reached 1 million downloads. So thank you all so much for all the support. And I promise to keep going until we download hundreds of millions of amazing new ideas and amazing concepts that help you slow down and reflect and find a better way to life. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.